Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. My name is Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC and you're joining us for the second session in our series on mission, which is called B. And every time we're looking at something else that has a B title. So last time we looked at B Sent and this time we're looking at B His. We're starting with a passage from Matthew 16 and we'll get to read that in a moment. But first of all, we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your wisdom as we learn from your word. We ask for our patience to wait on you and discover what it is you are speaking to us. And we ask that we would be receptive to challenge and willing to change. Amen. OK, so we're beginning with this passage. It's Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. And it goes like this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, uh, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So we're looking at this passage as a way of understanding this concept that we belong to Jesus. And this is important in our understanding of how mission works. Because last time we looked at the idea that we are sent as, as the Father sent the Son, as, as the Father sent Jesus. So he then goes on to send us. And we saw this as we were looking at a passage in John's Gospel last time. Willing to be sent... We then need to be thinking about kind of our identity as we go. And so being his becomes the next really important thing. Along this stretch of coastline, just near where I am in Watch It, I'm just about two or three hundred yards inland. There's a series of ruins right on the shoreline that are made of timber and are seen when the tide is out. You might have seen them yourself if you live nearby. There are some visible at Minehead and at Blue Anchor too. They are basically rows of timber posts sunk deep into the mud and sand and they were put there for a purpose. Their purpose was to catch fish. It's not the posts that actually do the catching and, and it may be that you know about all this and I'm kind of teaching you to suck eggs so please bear with me if that's the case. At low tide the idea was that the posts would have nets attached to them so guys from the probably was mostly blokes, from the town, would go all the way out uh, across the sandy mud to the post and hang nets on those posts. Uh, and then the fishermen would come back away from the post, leaving the nets behind, come uh, inshore, goodness knows what they would do, maybe they sat in the pub all day, maybe they helped out with the laundry at home or a, or a run to the shops maybe, who knows. Anyway, over the following hours the tide would rise and bring fish in and then the tides would drop and trap fish. 
caught in those nets. As the tide fell then, the fishermen, having done their uh, domestic chores or had their pints, would then go back to the nets and gather them in and man their catch. It's a very efficient way of doing things in its own style. Really, it was about letting the energy of the sea do a lot of the work and simply turning up together what the sea had already given. Those rows of posts are known as weirs, fishing weirs, because a weir is basically a fish trap set up to work with the tide. In other parts of the world, they're still used in that way, and sometimes they're made of stone rather than timber and netting. Anyway, why am I telling the story? Well, because when we think about mission, I think sometimes the church can work a little bit like fishing weirs. Sometimes we try to do mission in a fishing weir kind of method. So we, we put something together and we stick it out there and we hope. And I may be putting that too simply, but sometimes it feels like we hope people will encounter Jesus if we set the right apparatus up. And maybe we're hoping that they'll encounter Jesus because they've caught, been caught up in the thing that we've done. There's an important reality to be aware of about mission, particularly about people coming to know Jesus. The thing is, God doesn't actually need us to be part of this process. He chooses to involve us, and that's a very different thing. It's his mission, much more than it is ours. As Jesus says, the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And last time round, we looked at how mission is about being sent. Um, and we looked at the idea that we are to be sent to be with the world, like Jesus was sent to be with humanity. Today, I'd like to explore what it means to be sent by thinking about who owns mission. My wife, Jenny, reminds me from time to time of a really important truth which comes through in this passage from Matthew's Gospel. And it's this. Jesus says he will build his church. And that means it's not my job because it's his. He's told me it's his and it's his church anyway. It's not a reassurance to be at peace while I build the church. It's not Jesus saying, you go ahead and build the church and I'll take care of you while you do it. It's quite different from that. It's instead of a reminder that building the church is not down to me. It's down to Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will build my church. But in Matthew's gospel at the end, he says that his disciples should go and make disciples. So I'm not to build the church, but I am to make disciples. So the Father is sending me to do exactly that. I shouldn't try to build the church. He will build the church. I should, and we should, if we know Jesus, be making disciples. So, who owns mission? Well, I want to answer that question by looking at these verses in Matthew 16. We hear here, here, in this situation, we hear Peter's declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Part of what's interesting about that, and this is just an aside, is that the understanding of who the Messiah was at that point didn't particularly include the Messiah being the Son of God. So the idea that you might have a Son of God and that you might have a Messiah weren't necessarily the same thing. And Peter, nonetheless, recognised that these two titles, these two beings, were present in the same human. Peter acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and Jesus says that it is this 
it's this declaration that forms the basis of his church, Jesus's own church. It is the declaration that is the rock. There's a little bit of a pun going on as um, Jesus says, you are Peter. And of course, we know that Peter means rock. So you are Cephas, you are, this is your name, you are rock. And on this rock, being his declaration, I will build the church. The, the declaration is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So, to declare that Jesus is Lord as Messiah and Son of God is to declare that you are part of this community of disciples. You are saying, I believe this too. I, this is what I stand for. This is how I think this works. And so it's the declaration that makes the difference. It's part of why we include it in baptism services. If we're not disciples who are sent, then we're not disciples. And if we're not disciples who are making disciples, then we're not disciples. It's tricky, isn't it? In both those cases, the thing that makes us a disciple isn't what we think, it's what we do. Now, Jesus has established the church as his community. It, it does what he does. We follow his example as we go about being church, as we go about being disciples together, apprentices to Jesus. Mission, then, is about how disciples and the church, as we do it together, echo Jesus. The alternative is that we end up trying to complete our mission. We try to make things happen. We treat it as if it is our mission rather than God's that we are partnering in. We try to appeal to the crowd rather than making disciples. We end up trying to build something that will catch people like a fishing weir. But Jesus said we were to be with, like he was. Not to set up a catching mechanism and then withdraw and hope for the best. Not to put on a show and hope that somebody would, as a result of that show, think that following Jesus might be a good idea. David Bosch is a very famous writer on mission. Um, and he wrote, oh, it's a really famous book. Hang on, it's just over here. Uh, oh, I can't find it. Yes, Transforming Mission is his book. Really good. Quite thick. Very good. He wrote this. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. The mission is God's thing. It is almost something that defines who he is, what he's like, what his character is built around. Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. Remember, we know this partly because last week we, did, we were looking, weren't we, at how God sent Jesus. God sent God. Jesus being part of who God is. So our role is not to do that fishing weir thing. We're not reach out and grab in. Our role is to be with. And being with means walking the hard yards. Being with means conversation with difference. Being with means living in a kind of tension between the mess and the messiness of sin and brokenness and the promise of beauty and of hope being with means the priority for us isn't conversion of others it's discipleship it's walking alongside it's it's teaching by doing together it's being an apprentice recognizing there's a master who we are looking to imitate and become more like it means, very much means, 
being like Jesus and with those who are considered to be off limits to the religious types. And that still happens today. Don't go thinking it's a, it's a New Testament only thing. There are still plenty of people around who religious types will probably feel uncomfortable around or would rather they didn't show up. There are lots of categories for this, but I think possibly one of the most prevalent for our uh, sort of Christian churchy culture is people whose sexuality doesn't meet a traditional definition. And so all, the same with gender. And so we, we maybe feel um, that in some churches and among some Christians, there is a level of discomfort around that. But remember that Jesus' example to us is if the religious types think people are off limits, probably best to go and spend time with them. If, however, we're mostly doing outreach and in-grab, and we might have tried to persuade people that vitamin C is good for them by walking around with a lemon balanced on our head or, or you know, try and hold them on our shoulders at the same time. You know, we're, we're displaying something that's good for you, but in a way that doesn't make any sense. It's better than doing that would be to let people see you eating apples. Not walking around trying to juggle apples everywhere you go. And putting on a show about how awesome apples are, eat them, model it, that makes more of an impact. That's how we show what healthy spirituality is, what healthy discipleship is like, what healthy involving God in your life means. So if mission is an attribute of God, it's part of who he is. So how does God see mission? Luke, in his gospel, we might under these circumstances, just call it a biography of Jesus' life. Luke writes this, and it's from chapter 4, verses 16 to 22. I'm just going to read it from over here. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight, for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So that passage, those few verses, is Jesus at his home synagogue explaining his mission. Jesus, who tells us he was sent by the Father, is giving like a manifesto. This is his ministry. To proclaim good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from sin and death. To invite fulfilled life. To declare God's comfort and favour and justice to be with those who mourn. And if you're wondering where I got all that from, check out Isaiah 61, one to three. This is the passage Jesus is quoting from at his home synagogue. These are the priorities that Jesus is bringing to his ministry. Now, I just wanna stick with that a minute. We're gonna look at a passage in John's gospel. So John 14, nine to 14 here, I'm just gonna read this one. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time, Philip is one of the 12 disciples. 
Anyone who has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is Jesus saying, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. They know what the Father is like because they've seen me. If you know me, then you know the Father. If you've heard me, then you've heard the Father. So mission is always and only what Jesus says it is. The world is his, the church is his, and the mission is his, not ours. The priorities of Jesus are the priorities of the Father who sent him. So when Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you, that means our priorities in mission should be Jesus' priorities and the Father's priorities. And it means that those priorities should power our sentness. Mission is... Um, is centrifugal you know that you know that idea of centrifugal force you know when you have a bucket and you you fill it with water and then you can swing it up and down over and over your head and the water doesn't come out because the centrifugal force pushes it away from that center of gravity or whatever the terminology is it, it forces it outwards so mission is centrifugal like that it takes the energy of jesus priorities and transfers it into momentum outwards Spinning a person around and round so that they go out, that's centrifugal force. And the spinning is what we do in church. And then the releasing has to happen too. There's no point us recognising the church as a place of equipping if we then just stand around full of equipment, carrying all kinds of useful things and, and you know, with a, with a backpack full of equipment that we need and, and never actually taking it anywhere. That, that would be ridiculous. The church is built on the declaration that Jesus is Lord. The church is his. Jesus says, I will build my church. And Jesus' priorities are clear because he states them. If that is God's mission, described by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, then it needs to be the mission of the church as well. There is no point having a mission. It was anything other than the mission of Jesus, because the church is Jesus' church, and so the church's mission should be Jesus' mission. So... Our mission is to proclaim good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom from sin and death, to declare the Lord's favour, to seek justice, to comfort those who mourn and so on. Notice that his priorities, the themes of his ministry, are not just about proclaiming. This is what God's mission is like. The church's place is to be sent to exercise God's mission, to talk about the good news, to support the poor, to show forgiveness, to seek justice for the oppressed and for creation, to comfort those who mourn and those whose hearts are breaking or have already been broken. Mission is not then the same thing as proclaiming the good news. They are woven together and inseparable, but they are not the same thing. You might even say that mission without proclaiming is hollow, but proclaiming without the rest of mission is incomplete, something like that. And the whole of mission is made possible by the Spirit. Note that Jesus says in that Luke manifesto, 
in Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And that this moment follows two other events. The first is the baptism of Jesus with the Spirit coming to rest on him. And the other is a temptation in the desert where the Spirit led him. There's a guy called John. John. There is a guy called John Hull who wrote this. Christian mission is not a mission of the church. But church itself is a feature of mission. The mission itself is God's mission. So how can we know what God wants the church to do? How can we know anything about God? All the time, if we want to know what God is about, we look at Jesus because he reveals God. How do we know what justice means to God? We look at Jesus. How do we demonstrate love? We follow the example of Jesus. How do we explain what sacrifice means? We talk about Jesus. How do we live out mercy where we are? We live like Jesus. If someone tells you something about God and it doesn't line up with what Jesus said and did, then you need to ask some serious questions about that something. So, if we are to have Jesus' priorities but not build the church, the mission is God's mission, not ours, then what is the role of the church? We want to build it, but we are to echo the priorities of Jesus. And how, how can we make sense of that? Perhaps it might help to think of the church as more like a road. If the purpose of a road is to be a gleaming ribbon of rock or asphalt or whatever you want to call it, with some kind of shiny black top layer, bordered by gleaming curbstones and lit by bright streetlights with pure white lines down the centre, then you're never going to let people walk and drive all over it. It will look great, but it won't be a lot of use. And churches can sometimes be like that. Maybe you've been in one or two. They've been brilliantly constructed and carefully maintained, kept wonderfully clean and pure, but they aren't taking anyone anywhere. But if the purpose of a road is to help people make a journey, to give them a chance to reach a destination, to help them know the route and make their way through the challenges of life, then it's going to get trodden on and driven over. It's going to get dusty and gritty. It will have all kinds of people on it, travelling at different speeds. Some people will need to stop for a comfort break or because they feel travel sick or whatever else it might be. It's just, it's a working thing. It's something people travel on and it will help smooth the journey. In those ways, I believe church can live up to that manifesto that Jesus gives us in Luke. Church could be like that. But if it's going to be like that, it needs to avoid being a mirror-hung church. A church where we, as we, as we go to look out, Actually, all we see is ourselves. As we go to look out, we only see what we already are. And actually, when we start thinking about who we are, we're just looking for people who already are like us. That's not Jesus' church. And if that's the kind of way we're going to do it, then we're going to end up doing things in mission that just really suits maintaining the thing that we already like and know. But Jesus didn't work like that. He served the world. He didn't keep, kick people out. He welcomed them in. Even the corrupt bankers, even the prostitutes, even the people with 
infectious diseases, even the lawyers, even the clergymen, even the army occupying his homeland and oppressing his people. For Jesus being part of the kingdom of God meant that the mission was to reach everyone. No matter how messy their life was, no matter how dirty they made the road, they were able to travel on it. That was Jesus' attitude and his mission. And if the church is to share that mission, it has to share the attitude too. The church has to be that road on which anyone can travel. And we in the church have to be okay with anyone travelling the road with us. And we don't get to decide otherwise. Because it is Jesus who will build that church. Our job is simply to make disciples, to help people travel, to help them ask questions and find answers. And to do that well, to do that well, we need to know the world that we are trying to reach. We need to understand its assumptions and learn its language. We need to know our context in order to reach it. The way in which we make disciples is to take the gospel and make sure it has a made in watch it stamp on it or a made in Williton stamp on it or a, a made in old cleave stamp on it or a made in minehead stamp on it whatever it might be it needs to work with the people who Jesus wants to reach our approach to mission needs to focus on God's priorities and the cultural assumptions of those Jesus wants to reach I'm going to pray in a moment, but first, before I do that, I want to remind you that between the South West Baptist Association and Bristol Baptist College, there are there is training available uh, in order to get a better grip on some of this stuff. And specifically, there is a course uh, happens on two Sundays, so happens on two Saturdays and Saturdays, and the module is called. Um, Oh, I can't remember, something about contemporary Christianity or understanding the con contemporary culture or the church in the contemporary culture, something like that. It is really good at looking at this idea that the culture that we're in needs to be understood if we're going to be able to reach it. Now, I'm going to be making sure that we have some information, hopefully on the website, about that course so that we can, as many of us as possible, get involved in it because it's that kind of understanding that's going to help us to make disciples as part of the church that God through Jesus, his building. Let's pray. Father, help us to follow Jesus by letting him build his church and by focusing on making disciples. Holy Spirit, will you help us to follow Jesus' lead in who we are reaching and how we're doing it. And help us to always remember that if we want to know what God is like, then it's Jesus we look at. Amen. Okay, here's our three questions. Question one. Are there mirrors in our church that we need to get rid of? And if there are, how do we get rid of them? Question two. Who do you find it difficult to share that road with? If the church is like a road and the idea is that anybody can travel along it, who do you find it difficult to share that road with? It may be that you're someone who's tempted to say, well, I wouldn't find any difficulty sharing with anybody. That would be great. 
But what I want all of us to do as we consider this question is look deep and think if Jesus were in front of me asking this question and he already knew what I was like, who might he say I have a difficulty in sharing the road with? Question three. Have a think about the fishing weirs that you've seen churches using. How have you seen churches, either this one or another one from another part of your life, do that outreach and in-grab thing where you kind of just stick something out there and hope it works? And I want us to have a little moment to think about what those things are so that we can have a think about the difference between those approaches to mission and the approach that Jesus asked us to take, which is to make disciples. So just take a moment to think about what those fishing weird type things, activities are uh, that, that you've been involved with or that you've seen in action. And have a think about it. if we're going to do activities in the church, how can we make them activities that, that take us towards making disciples? Well, that's our questions done this time. Thank you for joining me. It's been uh, quite exciting to have a look at this topic and we'll continue with our series next time. I pray that God blesses you in whatever situation that you're in, and that he inspires you to go out there and make disciples. Amen.